Welcome back. Welcome back. Did you love our abrupt? <laughs> I feel like sometimes we just have to stop. On our last episode, we just stopped talking because mm -hmm. we could just keep talking about well, things and then it just goes rabbit trails. It would rabbit trail, but also in full disclosure, uh, we had food delivered and we needed to stop before they ring the doorbell. I'm just going to say it because it. we're just transparently, that's what happened guys. What and happened. so we just had to like call it. So sorry we if we abruptly ended and you felt like you were dangled from the edge of a cliff. We apologize we're for that. We're back though. But we're here now. We're not leaving you. <laughs> <laughs> we won't abandon you. For real. We'll give you ample time to know if we are. Okay, let's jump to the next characteristics yeah, of narcissism, which is entitlement. Mm -hmm. Unwarranted admiration. And display of ego and conceited behaviors. What have you seen? Like, let's talk about this real case, real time, real case time. Mm. What have you seen in this realm, in your practice? Oh, I think this one is a little bit more difficult to like, I feel like everybody can have problems with this. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that there is like, I, I don't think that this, cre how do I even say that? I think it's difficult to use this as a measure of saying, hey, this is how you acknowledge narcissism yeah. in yourself or in other people. Not that narcissists are usually looking for how to acknowledge it in themselves, by the way. <laughs> They're not. That's funny. You know, so I guess like entitlement, you know, kind of connects in with what we were talking about in the last thing a little bit. We went back and forth about whether to add that in on the other one. But, you know, a sense of entitlement, that's literally it. That's like how the DSM says it. And I'm like, I feel like a lot of people can feel entitled in different ways. And I feel like that can go into a lot of different threads as well. But I, I think the biggest thing that I see with a sense of entitlement is that idea of like, I, I am owed something for something that I did not do anything to gain privilege of mm -hmm. purpose or, or I, I did not do anything to gain, um, the privilege of, yeah, I guess that's how I would say it. And so real world, how that looks, I think is ambiguous, honestly. Yeah. Um, this would not be a measurement that I would use as a like definitive like oh yeah, yeah like, that's oh, the diagnosis. they have that that's a done deal yeah mm -hmm. to me it's too broad mm -hmm. and so it's like yeah you would see it in just that idea of like i'm owed something just literally what the definition of entitlement would mean um but it's not definitive enough for me what about for you do you have any stories about seeing people with a sense of entitlement that were narcissists oh i'm trying you know it's so funny because i feel like i should have a million stories and it's like i can't get one to come to yeah. my mind. I feel like that too. It doesn't springboard for me. So this is a great place for viewers. Like if you have stories where you're like, oh, I'm thinking of some stories of some people that I had encounters with that had a sense of entitlement and they might've been narcissists. Like this is when you want to write into us and say like, hey, here's my story. Cause we'd love to talk about that. Yeah. Or even possibly put you on the air, interview you. Um, you can email us at diary of a therapist at Gmail. And yeah. so we'd love for you to do that. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, you know where I get that a lot is in um, scheduling. Oh. Because, you know, we were talking about this last time. It's yeah. like scheduling being like Tetris. You know, it's got kids, you've got stuff, you've got, you know, whatever you're doing. And then what happens is people are like, yeah, but I have this one thing. So can you see me Friday at 3.42 p.m.? Like, and it's like, no. I can't. And then you hear the like, well, you're just so difficult. Your schedule's so hard. I'm like, no, it really isn't. 
It's that you asked me for a very specific time and feel like your stuff is more important. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think I used to tell my students this, and I've probably said this on this podcast because I'm very anti-hierarchies. And I feel like what happens is people create hierarchies, and that's what you'll see in families, kind of similar to what we talked about before. But it's like, my things are more important. Like that grandiosity, do you not know who I am? And it's like, no. I remember, um, I do remember a story. You ready for this one? So I had a family um, in ministry, and um, the 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 dad was the pastor, and um, they were working on some things with their kids. I'm trying to be really careful because I don't want to uncover anyone ever. We never want to do that on our podcast. But and that um, I love to go in blind to therapy. Like it's like I don't want to know why you're coming. I'd rather you just tell me when you come in because yeah. it really lets me use my discernment. I don't want to go in with a preconceived idea. So the secretary had set up the therapy classic, right? Because the pastor was too important to, to email me. Did I just say that out loud? You said it out loud. So literally, um, I remember where I was. I remember I was driving and I get a call and it's the pastor. And I was like, oh, hi, how are you? Uh, well, I just wanted to make sure that you were really up to speed on the situation and the agenda. Oh, dear. I said, oh, okay, well, say more about that. You know, I'm like over here like fuming because I know what he's trying to do. Mm-hmm. He's trying to get me to um, to basically be on his side mm-hmm. before the family Let me comes. create some bias here. Yes, the entire family comes to me. Oh, way. okay. Like all of them. For uh, Actually, they were here for four days. Like it was like a intensive. I love doing that kind of therapy. Oh, yeah. So literally... Um, I'm like, okay. And they're like, okay, well, he's like, let me just let you know. I mean, here's really what we're looking to accomplish. And I was like, well, unfortunately, you know, I mean, like I kind of am really going to wait till my spirit can sense where we are and I can get information from everyone. And I just remember him sort of being like, well, but, but I'm the past, you know, you know, like I'm kind of the head of the family. Like he was kind of like saying without saying, and I just remember hanging up the phone being like, are you kidding me? Uh-huh. Like, you literally just tried to corner me and see if you could buy me off or get me to be uh-huh. the person that would do your bidding. And don't you even think the family came? And I totally, I totally did not even side with him in the least. He was the problem because <laughs> he was an arse. I mean, he was mm. very grandiose, had so many narcissistic tendencies like zero empathy for his kids. And like, I literally was like, do you see your kids crying? Like, do you see them? Like, let's take mm. a look, open your eyes. They're right here in front of you on this couch. Like, do you see them crying? And they're like grown in their twenties. <sighs> and it was just so like interesting. But anyway, like I just remember him being like, do you not know who I am? Um, I love it when I get that question. I've, I've worked with people who are <laughs> Famous athletes that are on TV that are, you know, so, so often I legitimately do not know no who they are. I'm no like, idea. no, I don't. And they're like, well, Google me. Have you ever had a client say that? Yes. Well, Google me. And I'm like, no, no I'm not. I'm I won't. Good. I'm because good. I, I am like you. I didn't want that bias to be present. That's an excellent example of what entitlement would look like, though. I like how you've connected it with the idea of time because I do see that a lot. But I think how that translates into a relationship, because I was really stumped when we actually first started on this one. But I think how that tra- that translates into a relational dynamics is like, think about how um, they, you know, the, the person that you're in relationship with is valuing your time, is, um, you know, operating under um, maybe some preconceived ideas that their time is of more value, of more importance than your time. I think that's an excellent um, 
um, way of being able to see entitlement in a relational dynamic to you. Can I tell on myself? You know, I always do. You always do. Diary of a therapist, Um, right? But like literally lately, I have been perpetually late. And it's so funny to me. I'm always late. Well, like, it's, like, been a thing for me, though. Like, weird. Like, it's not how I normally function. Like, I can be a couple minutes late, but, like, I'm talking, like, oopsie. Like, I'm 10, 15 minutes. Not necessarily for sessions, because I'm pretty, like, picky about that. But, like, (laughs) it's just so strange. And I don't know what it is. It's, like, but it's been bugging me. Because it's, like, this moment of where I'm, like, (gasps) like, I'm saying something without saying something. And I don't Mm. want people waiting for me. I had this friend one time. I remember it was a little Madeline. We were supposed to have lunch. I waited for 45 minutes for mm. them to come. And literally, like, we were supposed to meet at, like, 11, and it was 11.45, and they rolled. And they're like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, I almost left. Like, I think we texted. But I'm like, <laughs> I almost left my whole lunch hour, mm. and I waited for you to show up. Like, I couldn't have been doing something else. I'm telling you, I don't have patience for that. So I think that's what I'm telling myself, because I just want accountability. Like, if... If you're my friend and you're listening and I'm late, you call me out because I don't like that. I don't want to ever assume that you're going to rush to a place and I'm going to be late. And I think that's a good thing to think about. I'm very free with time, so I don't like to be pressured by time. For me, it creates a lot of anxiety to feel pressured by yeah. time. But my clients know this and my friends know this. I usually preface. My husband has a built-in like 15 minutes always. Like if it's like, oh... Let's meet at 11. He just automatically builds in an extra 15 minutes. Like we need to meet them at 1045. Not at all because I'm not being respectful of another person's time. I don't, I'm really, I just don't like myself to feel pressured by time. So we're different in that way. But I love how you think about the way that time is used as a way of honoring or dishonoring Mm -hmm. another person. I really do like that. I think that's really kind. I think that's because my time's so scarce. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, like it's like when I give time to someone, please use it wisely because it's sacred. Yeah. It's really a commodity. Yeah. You know, I think think conceited behaviors is another piece of this that we could jump to. It's like what do we see, like that Google me. I think Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's fun, right? (laughs) Be like, do you know what's going to happen now? I'm going to not at all do that. I'm not going to at all do that. I'm not even going to let Google open on my computer because I am not going to Google you for sheer principle. Well, here's the deal, though. Those same people, like you talk about ego, display of ego and conceited behaviors. You know, if you're a counselor that's listening, you know, those clients will tell you all about what their elevator speech is on their, um, (laughs) you know, amazingness. So don't even worry about it if you forget to Google them and you wanted to because <laughs> they're going to tell you. They're going to give you their whole... Like, you know this, though. The people who give you their whole resume. Well, you might not know me, but let me tell you what I've done. Right. You need to know this about me. And sometimes I just think those features of who they are are not even relevant. Like, I'm just like, I don't... Not that I don't care. That sounds really unkind, but it's just kind of like... It's not relevant to what's going on in the room. So you bring in, you know, a husband and a wife and why, you know, husband or wife, whoever it might be the one that has this uh, display of ego and conceited behaviors feature here. Um, you know, it, it is, again, to go back to time, right? This entitlement, like that we would take time in a counseling setting in a session to give me your, you know, your, your resume. And I'm just like, I don't, I don't need to know any of that about no. you. But you know what's funny? is I think that that is the very barrier that they hide behind. 
Because if I push all of this stuff out in front of you, if you think about it as a visual, right? Like you're walking in the room and I've shoved all of these things between me and you for you to see how many people in their life have been mesmerized by the things and not seen them as the person. And I think to myself, the whole goal of therapy is I don't give a crap about your things. I give a crap about who you are. And who you are at the core is who's operating with your children, with your spouse, with your coworkers, with your grandma in Maine. Like those are the people that you're operating with. And when you push all of these Mm -hmm. accolades and these awards and these, and these things that you've accomplished in front, it's like, that is the very thing you hope that you'll get so hung up on. And if I just, I just want to say to you as a therapist, if you get hung up on your client's fame, you should transfer and refer them immediately. Absolutely. I agree with you completely on that. I agree with you. We had a staff meeting one time where one of our um, clinicians had a situation like that and referred to that like, well, I have a famous client. And I was really quick about like, yeah, we're not doing that. Like, we're not doing that. There are so many people that we're going to be interested with their stories. Oh, we're not going to refer to clients by their diagnosis and we're not going to oh. refer to them by their status. Well, like we're just not doing that. Yep. Because people are just people. And I feel like in part, I don't know if this applies to everyone. I've been practicing for about 13 years now. And I didn't ever have this complex because, again, I live under a rock. So I didn't know who people were anyway, so it didn't matter to me, right? But not everybody's like this. Some people are well-connected. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of being a, you know, being a counselor to somebody who's influential might mean some to other people that it wouldn't mean to me because I don't have very many influencers in my life. And so I think that sometimes when we wrap kind of our own identity in that, we are participating well, in the illusion well, that the narcissist brings in. And I think that's how sometimes therapists get trapped. How can we help them then? Right. And not being able to see what's happening relationally in dynamics, because kind of like what you just said, you know, they're giving you their, here are the things I need you to know about who I am. As a result of that, you begin viewing the person through those filters, well, which is what they need for everybody to do because it hides the true yep self right but then we're participating in that illusion with them like oh i can't do therapy like this with this person because he's a doctor because he's a pastor because he's a lawyer rather i have found in my own practice that i actually love working with clients in some of those fields that it might feel more challenging for some counselors to work with because i don't view them through that I'm just yeah. like, that's cool. You're a physician. Let me try to think of analogies that I can right. use right. that will incorporate the human body because that's going to make sense to your clinical right. brain, right? Whereas when I'm working with a counselor, sometimes I am trying to use um, terminology that's connected you know, to the psychology right. of people because it fits for them. But in the same way, if I'm working with a baseball player, though I have limited knowledge about baseball, right? I'm trying to find things that like kind of connect with what they know and understand. And so I think that that humanness seeing a person through the lens of their actual humanness provides um, medical, be- better clinical uh, discernment. We made a new word. What did medical. I say? <laughs> better clinical. It's good. Medical. We want to be medical. Medical. That's it. Better, better clinically. Medical. <laughs> yeah. So. No, I'd so, you know what? You're so right, though. And I think that's one of the things I love about you is that you are, you see the person. Like the stuff that anybody would shove in front of them is not going to ever mesmerize you because you're laser focused on them as a person. Yeah, and honestly, it kind of irritates me. (laughs) It really does because I'm just like, I mean, it makes you think of the scene from The Help where I think it's Abilene is her name. 
she looks at the girl who has a cold sore, and I can't remember her name either, but the redheaded girl, and she just says, um, she says, ain't you so tired? Ain't you so, so tired? I love that part of the movie because it's, 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 if, um, if I'm getting their names right, and I'm sorry if I mess up the characters, but it's this empowerment for this woman who had served families throughout her life in this really evil, this character is just evil and awful, who had plotted against her and Aveline saying to her, like, are you exhausted? Yeah. Because I think carrying around those oh, like shields of like, this is how you need to see me. I need you to see me this. And I'm like, do you even see you? Do you even know who you are? But one of the best exercises that I think you can do with somebody like that is, and then what? Mm-hmm. So I don't see this, then what? Okay, mm-hmm. then I don't see that, and then what? So you're not a therapist. You're not a mom. You're not a wife. Yeah. You're not, you don't succeed. You didn't, you weren't in the NFL, NBA, yeah. MLB. Then what? Because mm-hmm. that boils it down to the true fear. The core, right? Of even a narcissist. What's their true fear? What's the thing that they literally are like, if anybody sees this about me? That's right. That everything will fall apart. And that right there is what is going to drive relational dynamics. See, it won't be, Uh I was a major league baseball player. That's not driving relational dynamics for them. What's driving relational dynamics are those things you're talking about. Mm-hmm. It's attachment, yeah. right? Are we over-attached or under-attached? I say that all the time. <laughs> like the, some of the main driving um, components of what's happening with us psychologically are over-attached or under-attached. I'm mm-hmm. constantly looking at mm-hmm. that. And so I think sometimes like using those shields actually create a lack of attachment, but it looks like attachment. Ooh. Right. Mm. And so then whenever they're sitting down with their husband or with their wife, they're coming in and they're being like, this is what's happening in our relationship. A lot of times they're kind of just swimming in this denial because it's like, but I am this and right. Husband or wife, whoever is the one who's not being able to see it, 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 you know, it's it's saying, no, but you're actually this, you you actually don't listen well. Mm. You actually don't know how to communicate. You actually aren't telling me what you really feel in this situation. And I'm, I'm desperate to get to know you and I'm trying that. And that's why we're sitting in a counselor's office right now is because I want to know who you really are. But for a lot of those people, they don't know themselves, you know? And so Mm. we're just, we're lost in marriages or in relationships in that kind of way, because it's like, I want to see myself this way. And I want you to see me that way. And until we can peel back those layers and get to the heart of who that individual is, healing can occur. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, I think that's the whole thing. It's like, I think as we're talking about this, I don't feel this animosity, bitterness, anxiety, put in any word you want there, towards narcissists. I actually feel empathy because it makes me feel sad. Like, I've seen the residual effects. Like, now, mind you, I've worked a lot more with victims and I've been a victim and all the things. But it's still the principle of, like, I feel... I feel for them because really when you see them, if you see them unmasked, stripped down, that's what you see is a person who has so much fear and concern and anxiety and whatever that if the true self were to emerge, that they don't know what would happen. I agree with that. And there are times that I can function with depth of empathy in my personal life when I'm dealing with a narcissist. I'm not talking about who I am as a clinician. I can't do it as a clinician because they ain't hurting me. So... You know, it's different. But in my personal life, I think there are times I'm really good at being able to, to look at them through a compassionate lens. And there are times where I still stay really, really mad mm-hmm. because I'm just like, do better. 
I mean, like, that's just kind of it. Just yeah. like, if I have to do hard work, you should have to do hard work too. Why don't you have to do hard work? Yeah. That's not fair. No, it is. Well, somebody, <laughs> I mean, we have to motivate them at the same time. I just think it's, it's just such a dichotomy. It's so hard. And I think every situation I've struggled because one of my strengths is individualization. So it's like, it probably would depend on the case. Because yeah. if I was seeing a victim of someone who was a narcissist, I'd be totally the opposite. I'd be like, wait a minute, you're hurting them. Blah, you yeah. know, like, <laughs> yeah. So I think it really just depends. But I mean, I work with my clients to help them get to a place of compassion for the people that have abused them yeah. that are narcissists yeah. or that are borderline so or whatever. I'm looking for like, once we understand the tendencies toward, and that's the way I word it in counseling, the tendencies towards this particular disorder. So it looks like this disorder. I'm not a counselor who says, oh, you were married to a narcissist. I'm a counselor that's going to say, it looks like this person might've had tendencies towards this. Do you identify with that? Mm-hmm. Did it feel like that to you? And then through that, yes, let them process what they need to process, but eventually helping that client get to a place where they are able to see that individual through a compassionate lens as well. And I think the use of the terminology emotional immaturity helps with that. Mm -hmm. Because when we can see that and say there's a lack of of maturity in this area of that individual's life, I think a lot of times that creates an equipping of like, okay, how instead of that triggering me and making me so like fueled by rage, can that equip me and put me into a place where I'm seeing that individual through this lens of where they actually Mm, lack. That's good. The problem is that whenever you're engaged with that person, say they're your boss or your pastor or your, you know, your, your partner, when you're engaged in that way, I think you're, you you know, the wound keeps getting offended so many times that it's like, we can't slow down enough to look at it at a, at a, at a distance. And for a narcissist, they're, they're, narcissists, they're con- consistently working to convince you of yeah. the illusion yeah. that it can't be like you're looking at that distance and saying, you've got some weak areas. And Ooh. as a result of those weaknesses, you treat me like this. And if we can heal those weaknesses, you would actually treat me better. Wow. And I've seen that happen with people that have tendencies toward narcissism. I don't see that as much with people who have full-blown narcissism because it's just so hard to move the dial. Right. Also, it's not something that I am uh, at all an expert in. It's right. not something I specialize in. Well, just as a disclaimer, neither of us really claim to be experts per se. I think it's just something that we want to bring a conversation to light and to sure. the surface. And Yeah. Um, okay, so we have one more category Yeah. next time. We're going to talk about one more grouping of kind of characteristics. And then we have received a lot of questions. So I'm so excited for us to try to answer some of those um, right here for you, just from some various therapists and people who um, have dealt with narcissism. So I'm excited to answer those live and in person. So we will see you next time where we wrap up the characteristics of narcissism and jump into some Q&A.